2: Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about birth defects. How to detect them? How prevalent are they? And are there ways to help prevent them? To have this conversation, I have Dr. Raul Gupta. He is a senior vice president and chief medical and health officer at March of Dimes, the nation's leader in mom and baby health. Dr. Gupta gives a list of things that you can do before you're pregnant, while you're pregnant, to help prevent birth defects. But we also talk about sometimes this is out of your control, and birth defects are going to happen, and ways that you can prepare for that, and what that might look like after baby's born. It's really important in-depth conversation I think that you're going to enjoy. Before we get to that, I just want to say, again, thank you for all those that continue to help build our community. It was funny, this morning's class, we had four people from the West Coast and they were there. It was a 10 o'clock class and they were there showing up and they were tired and they had some, uh, I'm not, what if it was coffee or what, but they showed up and it just goes to show what an amazing support system that we've built. So I just want to say thank you. It feels so amazing to know that this continues to grow. I was having a conversation with Caprice, my co-teacher trainee, over the weekend, and we were talking about how when this first started going online, we weren't sure what was going to happen. And now that it's such a flourished and abundant community, even when the studio doors open again, it's so important not to shut these doors of our online community, but to allow continue to foster, that we will have our online classes, we'll have our in-studio classes and we'll meld them together. So I just, again, want to say thank you for continuing to support Prenatal Yoga Center and this podcast, Yoga Birth Babies, and each other. That's really what it is, about supporting each other. So you can check out our schedule for classes, join us for classes, join us for workshops, join us for teacher training. We've got a lot going on. Okay. I think that's about it. So I'm going to take a quick break and we come back. Please enjoy my conversation for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi Rahul, how are you today?
1: I'm well, Deb. Thank you for having me.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm really excited to chat with you. I think what the March of Dimes is doing and talking about uh, birth defects and prevention is so important. So I'm really excited to share all this information. But I think the best way to get started is, will you mind telling me a little bit about yourself and how did you get involved in March of Dimes?
1: Sure. Uh, You know, I'm a practicing internist in a public health position. I've been um, previously I've worked as the state health commissioner for two governors in West Virginia. And uh, prior to that, I have been um, both in private practice, both in rural and urban areas, as well as academic medicine. I've really been fascinated by uh, the importance of the work that starts at the beginning of life when it comes to public health and medicine. In my work for um, the two governors, in West Virginia, while I had a large agency and about 130 program lines, it was the most fulfilling work. It was really fascinating to be working at the beginning of life. Uh, in my time as the health commissioner in West Virginia, while I had a large agency to look after and about 130 program lines, what was Most significant and rewarding for me was uh, the work we did, whether it was reducing smoking in pregnancy or the level of opioid prescriptions or figuring out how to provide and expand programming, whether it's birth to three, prenatal programming, or even a program called Drug-Free Moms and Babies, which connected moms with substance use disorder or pregnant women with substance use disorders uh, to programs where they can actually get to help the need during pregnancy and get to keep the baby and um, be treated for their condition. So it has been amongst the most rewarding work that really pulled itself me to the mission of March of Dimes.
2: So let's talk a little bit about the mission of March of Dimes. I've heard about it I feel like it's always been around. I remember going into restaurants and you had like this little thing where you put quarters into to try to gain, like to raise money. Um, that's very old school, but it's been around. I have just kind of known about it, but I don't think I've ever really known the bigger mission. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. You know, we were founded in 1938 by President Franklin Roosevelt uh, to address the polio epidemic. Primarily, and it's so interesting in these times that um, our uh, you know work initially was to fund the research that led to the creation of the vaccine by Dr. Salk, the polio vaccine. Mm-hmm. Of course, we worked uh, with partners across the globe to both eradicate polio, a major public health crisis in the United States and then it's near eradication across the globe. And then when we did that, we're one of the very few American organizations that was actually can claim such a victory of such a, you know, difficult and threatening disease, not very unlike COVID today. We turned our efforts towards addressing some of the biggest health threats to moms and babies, including preterm birth, maternal mortality, and birth defects. We did this through programs, advocacy, volunteerism, research, education, and bottom-line collaboration, working in communities uh, with our sleeves rolled up, as well as the halls of Congress and uh, many of the state legislatures. So we right now have an important mission and are in the midst of a maternal and child health crisis that mm-hmm. is only compounded by the COVID-19 pandemic. Our nation's maternal death rate has doubled in the just last 25 years. And uh, unfortunately, we're the only industrialized nation in the world with a rising maternal mortality rate. Um, What's worse about it is that women of color today in the United States are Mm. not only at most at risk of facing these complications, but black women are three to four times more likely to die from complications related to pregnancy causes as compared to white women. Um, not only about a mom dies, you know, every 12 hours around the clock, but then we also have issues of preterm birth, which if you're Black in this country, you're 50% highly, higher likely to give birth to a child who's preterm.
2: I remember doing some research, and it actually sucks, I'm in New York, that uh, women of color in New York, I believe the statistic was 12 times more likely to uh, have a maternal mortality than their white counterparts. Those numbers are insane and crazy. Thank you for bringing some light to that. And thank you for the work that March of Dimes is doing to support that. I did want to ask where it's similar. It's interesting that you're talking about the vaccination for polio, which is what started March of Dimes. And now we're in a time of COVID where we're, you know, we have a vaccine that's starting to slowly roll out, but I know it's there's some question for pregnant, well, some women, some pregnant women have question about it. I don't know if there's question about it from the vaccine point of view. And I know there's still a lot of research to be done, but is there anything you can share about the effects of COVID on pregnant
1: people? Absolutely. We have been working from the very beginning of this pandemic to advocate to include pregnant people in any and all trials for the vaccine, as well as other countermeasures or treatments that may be available. We, because here's why we know that pregnant people have a significantly higher risk of severe illness or death from COVID 19 compared with non pregnant people. And recent data from CDP has shown us that symptomatic pregnant weight or obese, or have pre-existing conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes, or gestational diabetes. So we know that some pregnant uh, people will have no symptoms with COVID. Uh, we also know that some people with COVID may have symptoms for up to eight weeks or longer. So um, those who are infected with the virus that causes you know, COVID-19 may actually have a high risk of pregnancy complications including preterm birth, preeclampsia, emergency C-sections, and even pregnancy loss. And therefore, it's really, really important that when we prescribe and recommend therapies, that we not only not exclude pregnant individuals from those countermeasures, but also remove any barriers that may be there uh, for vaccine as well as for other therapies.
2: So, or, so there is the recommendation though for pregnant people to get the vaccine, correct? Right?
1: Absolutely. The uh, emergency use authorization has left the window open to uh, utilize for pregnant individuals. Of course, uh, pregnancy itself is a high risk condition, but then again, those who have other comorbid conditions in addition, like high blood pressure, diabetes and others, you know, th- there's a risk category of how to get vaccine as mm. it rolls out, although it's uh, it's uh, it's a bit been not totally even across the country. But we encourage uh, pregnant individuals to ensure that as they are you know called in for those comorbid conditions and high risk conditions mm-hmm. that they go ahead and get the vaccine as well as well as lactating individuals.
2: Oh, that's super important. So I know one of the reasons that we were chatting today was to talk about birth defects and how to prevent them. How would you describe a birth defect? And is there any way to prevent them? I'm guessing some are un, are non-preventable, but I'm guessing some there are ways to prevent them.
1: Yeah, Deb, you're right. Uh, that you know, as as the na- name sounds, right? So birth defects is a condition that may be present at birth, regardless of its cause. And we know that birth defects could be of different types. They could be structural, uh, like physical problems with, with, with the shape of the body part, like cleft lip. We often see cleft palate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or they can a- also be, um, you know, issues with um, other aspects in terms of development, uh, in, pe- in terms of cognitive aspects as well. So But they're pretty prevalent. I mean, the fact is that um, birth defects occur in about one out of every 33 babies born in the United States every year. Um, These, for example, some of them are very common, like defects of the heart, um, foot, brain, uh, cleft lip, and palate, as I mentioned. And they often develop during the first three months of the first trimester of pregnancy when the baby's organs are just forming. And it can cause problems in oral health. So um, these common defects like heart defects and cleft lip and palate and spina bifida. You know, some of these are preventable and can be, and we can talk about the planning to prevent these. And mm-hmm. obviously, others unfortunately aren't. So it's important to be aware of this.
2: One, would you say one in thirty-three uh, babies born have some sort of birth defect? That seems that seems high. Yeah.
1: That is that is quite high, and that's why we need to be careful and do everything we can. You know, even one or two or three, the more we can prevent uh, properly, the better it is for us as a society as well as parents.
2: Wow, that yeah, it's funny. I think back to my days when I was an active doula, and I had attended more than a hundred births by the time I retired, and. I don't have a recollection of seeing, but again, as I was thinking about this, sometimes it's not a visual birth defect, as you mentioned, like it could be a heart, some you know, it could be an organ defect. Is that correct?
1: That's exactly right. Uh, Some are clearly apparent, like a cleft lip or cleft palate. Mm -hmm. Others, like hearing loss or heart disease or others, are not actually so clearly visible.
2: So interesting. What are some actions that people can take to uh, before and during pregnancy?
1: Certainly. You know, one of the things is the notion that it can happen very early in pregnancy, like the first trimester when the bo- baby's body parts are being generated, basically uh-huh. literally in your womb. The best thing is to start even before that. So what that means is You know, we still have too many pregnancies that are unplanned in this country. So it's very, very important that if you are even remotely anticipating or thinking about it, that means that you should probably go get yourself uh, a prenatal visit or at least a a visit pre-pregnancy. Because if you get a physical and your your provider will probably talk to you about some of the things like good health, sleep, exercise, diet, Those things are important. Other things that are also important at the beginning is make sure you're screened for infections because some of the infections are very common causes of birth defects. Make sure that you are, in these circumstances, protecting yourself from COVID, but also taking your folic acid every day, even before you're anticipating pregnancy. 400 micrograms of folic acid each day, which is a type of B vitamin. It's important to prevent major birth defects of the baby's brain and spine. So those things are important, but it's also important at the same time as you're becoming pregnant to not smoke, um, not drink alcohol or use illicit drugs because all of these things are associated with certain birth defects. Um, It is also important to ensure that your body doesn't get overheated when you're pregnant. You'd be surprised how just a simple thing like fever can have a tremendous negative impact, this overheating of the body on the developing body parts of the baby. So it's really, really important.
2: I had a question about that. Do you mind if I jump in? (laughs) 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 So I know it's told to people like, don't go into saunas, don't get, you know, don't overheat. How much does the core body temperature raise from being in a jacuzzi, being in um, a sauna, because I've had some students say like, I really want to take a nice hot bath, but I was told I can't do that. And my, I always say like, as long as you're not sweating and dehydrating, but what is, because I, again, please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not a care provider, but does it raise the core temperature by being in a hot bath?
1: You know, often, so let's think about it. Um, That's a great question. Um, so for the first pe- thing you mentioned is the core temperature. People need to understand what a core temperature is. Core okay. temperature, you know, we, we, we all have a certain level of, uh, sort of thermostat in our bodies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When that thermostat really, when our core, meaning inside temperature, starts to go up, our body does a number of things, including sweating, hyperventilating, all of those things to, Remove the excess heat, so we can bring our back our core temperature down to normal. Closer. That's why you sweat when you have fever, or when you you're sick, because you're trying to remove that excess heat to protect the rest of your organs, and your body uh, fluids, and other things. So, so it's important. Now, when you go into a sauna or in a bathtub, that's kind of the opposite, right? So you're not you're actually exposing yourself a little bit to the heat. But what's important is. If you take a thermometer and measure the temperature it's generally about hundred and two degrees Fahrenheit for for at least ten minutes at which point uh, it becomes it could potentially cause uh trouble with the developing organs of the baby inside you so as uh, I guess in the, it's a long round way of saying uh, <laughs> that you ought to be thinking about it but you everything in moderation is important
2: so people uh, can know, take a bath
1: you could take a warm bath <laughs> as long I... as you don't know, up. Well, the temperature too high, or you stay in too long. Um, but it's it's one of those things. It's know what's common sense. If it's uncomfortable, that's probably also not good for the baby. Um, so so it's very important, especially the overheating in first trimester, um, that can lead to things like you know, and it can also lead to miscarriages. That's the other aspect. So it's very important um, to not uh, let your body temperature rise too high. Uh, but again, um, there's some things you shouldn't do at all, which is like smoking and alcohol and illicit drugs, but there's others you just have to look at the, the rule of moderation and follow that.
2: That is great information. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about how birth defects are detected. We'll be right back. This episode is made possible by PWC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Okay, so we're back. So, how are they detected? And I guess also, if once or if they are detected, what happens next?
1: Sure, I think that's another great question, Deb. You know, uh, when you go to your doctor um, uh, in a prenatal visit, when you're pregnant and you're going in, you get sometimes a test called amnio. It's called, it's really amniocentesis. Mm -hmm. And what it is is, Uh, they will take some amniotic fluid from around your baby in the uterus, in the womb, they'll check for birth defects and genetic conditions in your baby. Uh, You can get this test usually at 15 to 20 weeks of pregnancy. So if you think about it, it's just a little past um, the first trimester because that gives you a good idea. So that's one example during pregnancy. Another one, uh, your provider might have suspicions, and they might want to do a fetal echocardiogram or a fetal echo that could check not just your baby's heart, but also sometimes can find um, these congenital heart defects very early. Another one still is, you know, alpha-fetoprotein. There's some blood tests like that can check for that, and some of the other factors that you can get an idea of neural tube defects during pregnancy. So these are things that happen. You wouldn't even know about a routine screenings during pregnancy, but they do, based on the suspicion of your provider. Um, but then after birth, some of these defects are apparent, as you mentioned, like cleft lip, cleft foot, cleft palate, or a small, um, you know, um, microcephaly, small head. Um, they can be seen, and they're very visible and can be diagnosed with a physical exam there's something else that happens in literally every every state and every hospital you're born in, or your child is born in, which is called newborn screening tests. These are um, screening tests that are done with oftentimes people aren't aware, but they run through a battery of tests. Checking oh, the for PKU
2: or the, the heel prick.
1: Exactly. Yep, exactly. So these tests are checking for serious but rare and mostly treatable health conditions. So these conditions uh, you know could be p k u it could be a number of other challenges with healing and heart and blood um uh, so these things are also important and um uh, most of the times these your baby gets these tests done before she you know before she leaves the hospital um after birth, usually at one or two days old so yeah, so that's usually how we do it
2: so you'd mentioned the amnio now I'm curious 'cause um in the time I've had two kids and i'm I work with Thousands of pregnant women, amnio doesn't seem to be the the go to right now. It, from what I've seen, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong. Usually, right now, people are getting a 16 week anatomy scan, a 20 week, and then what I've seen is that the 20 week, if something looks a little bit unsure, then there's a jump for the amnio. Um, that could just be my region where we are. And I'm guessing like there's different ways of practicing throughout the country. Is that what would if someone doesn't have the amnio and they're listening to this? Would the 20-week anatomy scan, which is pretty thorough, would that give an indication if there was something going on?
1: Yeah, so one, one of the things very important, we don't want people to walk away uh, misunderstanding this because not everybody does or should get amnio. So, so it's important. Um, amnio detects, you know, things like, um, you know, chromosomal abnormalities, um, some sort of things like Down syndrome elastics. So, um, so it's important that it will be done at a you know, when it's appropriate and when um, it, when um, it's, you know, obviously demonstrates the reason to do it, and and sometimes also it's a diagnostic test, mm-hmm. but it can also be often used as a treatment for, for some of the conditions during pregnancy. Um, so it's it's a it's a number of things that can happen, but generally it's uh, done between weeks fifteen and twenty. Um, just because, uh, you know, too early, uh, it's just associated with, a, just it's not very safe unless if it needs to be done for other reasons.
2: And then if something is detected, is there, I don't even know if this is possible. I'm just kind of throwing this through my mind. Is there anything that can be done in utero if a baby does have a defect or is it the kind of thing they can detect? Maybe it's a heart something and they are then prepared to act as soon as the baby's born.
1: Yeah, I think, I think there's much more treatments that are happening now, um, for in utero testing as well as some of the management techniques.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, but to the other point you made is, is it's really important to be prepared when the baby is born for majority of the conditions. Meaning if we test, for example, and we find out that maybe there isn't going to be enough of fetal lung maturity, um, that that shows us, and we have to deliver the baby first, say for for one reason or another, um, then then there's always these, you know, you at least know that, and you can address that right after the burp, or, you know, with surfact and other aspects of oxygen, other things. So um, there are obviously situations where something could be, interventions could be done, but more importantly, uh, it also gives us a really good prognostication, of uh, just the testing does of what's to come.
2: And it's probably good for the the parent to kind of wrap their head around what's to come and get support behind that. So it's not just thrown at them, you know, looking, especially if there's like other kids and how those kids get support and then the emotional support of having a newborn have, who knows if it's heart surgery or whatever, I keep going to heart, I don't know why, Um, but I guess it's good that we have this awareness just to help plan. So I know that you gave a list of some things like folic acid, not having alcohol, not smoking. So those are things that can be done to help prevent. Are there factors that play in that might also lead to birth defects? I'd hate to someone to have a lot of self-blame. So are there like genetic factors that people are aware of and can get tested for that might possibly lead to birth defects?
1: Certainly, Um, there there's a number of things that could lead to birth defects, and as we were you know we were talking about it, there are some areas that um, are things you can do something about, and then there's other, especially things that there's not a whole lot that you can you can do about. Basically, so when we talk about smoking and alcohol and other things, um, this is something that actually you can. Um, mitigate by, yeah, by, by not smoking, you know, by a not having alcohol. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Now there's others that, you know, you may have taken some medications that may lead to birth defects. But there's not much you can do other than to stop the medication. There could be some genetic aspects as well. And it's important at that point, um, as, as early as possible to be able to talk to a genetic counselor. Um, so that's another aspect of genetic counseling piece. And then there's still things like infections, um, you know, the, uh, like CMV cytomegalovirus is such an infection um, that it's important. Um, then there are chemicals. Uh, sometimes people aren't aware of the exposure to certain chemicals that can lead to birth defects. Um, so these, these are all different varieties. But the idea generally is to make sure that at least for the factors that we know of that we can prevent that we try to prevent. But then again, the rare diseases and some of the other diseases that are maybe genetic in, in, in nature, it's good to get genetic counseling and find out what your risk is. Uh, add that with testing to the extent we can in order for you to make good decisions for yourself and mm-hmm. your family. But you're right. That at the minimum, um, knowing and having control over your body, having, uh, having the knowledge of what's to come, um, it's always good and it's always, uh, it empowers the individuals to be able to make good decisions and not to feel surprised.
2: Mm-hmm. What about, um, you, we talked about the COVID vaccine, but what about things like the flu shot? Um, I remember being pregnant and my midwife very much advocated for that. Um, I'm guessing that is kind of a general standard to advocate for the flu shot?
1: Absolutely. I think we still have. Um, too low of a rate of getting the flu shot during pregnancy, although it's so widely available. We know flu is, is really deadly, um, and especially during pregnancy. So it's really, really important for you to get the flu shot um, before or during each pregnancy and also get the whooping cough vaccine in the last three months of each pregnancy. Uh, so your vaccinations are a very important piece of of good treatment ensure that you're keeping yourself safe Uh, because every time let's just say you get a flu or something else and your temperature goes up and you are the first three especially first trimester then you know bad outcomes can happen so these are the kind of things that you want to avoid so it's very important to get your vaccinations as well.
2: And then is the whooping cough because then the pregnant person has the antibodies passing it on to the baby?
1: Yes, and and, uh, we rather remember that for the first, uh, you know, about three to six months or so of baby's life, uh, they do not really have, uh, we don't, there's no recommendation around the vaccine because they're not able to very well, at least we don't have data to show they can robustly develop their antibodies and protect themselves. So the way we protect them is by breastfeeding and those antibodies get passed from the mother baby and then cocooning the baby. So we try to make sure that everybody around, um, you know, grandparents, uh, parents, siblings are all protected so they don't infect um, the, the baby. We used to have a certain schedule for what we call vaccine, but now recently it's been changed to be recommended with each pregnancy rather than every 10 years.
2: Mm. When did that change? I don't remember... Getting my, my, I have a six and a nine year old and honestly I don't remember, although I'm sure I felt like I got several shots and and they said, you need this. I said, okay. Um, So who knows, I could have gotten it.
1: Um, It's recent. It's
2: relatively recent. And then I know you mentioned folic acid. How? And I'm kind of throwing this at you, so maybe you don't know this off the top of your head, but how much folic acid should a pregnant person have every day? I guess, and also maybe even before they're pregnant, starting to take this. Sure.
1: Well, you know, before you're becoming pregnant and you're certainly planning or thinking about it, uh, and during pregnancy, you should take at least about 400 micrograms. Of folic acid every day. Now, you don't want to take too much of it either. So, but you have the folic acid actually helps the proper development and growth, especially when we're concerned about baby's brain and spine. Um, It's important to also, you know, when you're buying over the counter um, those folic acid tablets, which Mm -hmm. is again a B vitamin, you want to make sure they stay 100% of the daily value. Uh, So, it's important not to have like 20% or 40% products. Um, then also eat foods that contain folate or folic acid, like um, naturally, like lentils, green leafy vegetables, black beans, and orange juice. And there's even some grain products um, that have folic acid supplemented, uh, like some breads. There's foods and, uh, made out of fortified corn mass of flour, such as cornbread, tortillas, tacos, and tamales. Uh, so just it's one of those things to look at the product label, make sure it's 100% next to folic acid and it's 400 micrograms a day.
2: This is such helpful information. Is there, I'm actually really fascinated about this because I know nobody wants to have a child with birth defect and sometimes it's unpreventable, but it's good to know that there are so many steps to take that can help boost a healthy full-term baby. Is there anything I didn't ask that you want to share about this? And then I have a couple of wrap-up questions.
1: Sure. I think, um, you know, there's obviously uh, no safe amount of alcohol during pregnancy, um, as you mentioned, uh, or when you're trying to become pregnant. So it's very important that you're looking at uh, both smoking, pregnant, primary and secondary smoke, as well as uh, uh, quit drinking, um, you know, when you're trying to become pregnant. And, uh, you know, there is a hotline, uh, 800-662-HELP, 800-662 to help, to seek that help. Of course, we have a host of information available at marchofdimes.org website, so marchofdimes.org. You can find us there as well. There's a lot of material uh, demonstrating really good information for use um, at the
2: website. I'll make sure I have that in the show notes, but I do have one question about the alcohol and I know that some people don't always know when they get pregnant, and they might have had a drink or two, and now they might be hearing this, and they're freaking out. So, again, I'm not trying to condone saying, yeah, you know, go to the bar, drink it up, but is there a point... Where someone had a couple glasses, they're, they're likely okay. Again, I'm not saying like, you know, yeah. down the alcohol, yeah. but I also don't want to put the fear of death in someone's heart, like, yeah. oh my God, what'd I do?
1: Yeah, you know, um, there are few uh, data points that are as conclusive as they are with uh, tobacco and alcohol related to challenges in pregnancy overall. So that's the first piece but however understand that um you know the it's the intent so if you're thinking about um uh, becoming pregnant or if you're thinking about um uh, potentially um you know that that you may be pregnant but you just want to take the precautionary approach because it's your baby you're thinking about um and and planning so, but uh, but if you're looking retrospectively, well, you know, it's always what, what's done is done. It's the it's the way to move forward. It's, it's for and you know to to get your best help possible early as possible to go to your provider, get screened, get your prenatal visits. Mm-hmm. and if all turns out well, this is it would be great. But just it's a lesson for next time. So there's no reason to freak out. It's just something that. And, uh, you know, you want to be proactive about just like, you know, we we try to make sure we're not speeding, we're not, we're not equating, but, you know, we, we take so many precautions in life every day to ensure that we don't get in trouble and our loved ones don't get in trouble. This is the same concept here, precautionary principle. And then um if sometimes these things, when if and when they happen despite you trying to avoid it, then you, you do the best you can, including uh, making sure that You know, you mentioned it to your provider, so it's recorded, but there's correlation in case and the outcomes were different. But then again, you become smaller next time around.
2: Mm -hmm. That makes sense. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. If you have one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents, we'll be right back.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty
2: Okay, so it could be anything, <laughs> any final tip or piece of advice you would like to share with new or expectant parents.
1: You know, the best advice I would uh, share is, is, is the best, uh, is the one that uh, I felt I ha- had when I became a parent, uh, which is, you know, there's a, there's a happiness to a new parenting but there's also a lot of work mm-hmm. and make sure you pace yourself, you take care of yourself along with your newcomer in life. So it's it's very important and it's, it's important for the mother. It's important for um, the, the spouse. It's important for, you know, everyone in the family to pace yourself. And, we, you know, one of the reasons we see such higher levels of maternal mortality and morbidity, meaning poor outcomes, is sometimes moms to go home and aren't able to take care of themselves. So it's important for the dads also to take care of the moms as well because focus on the baby is important and necessary, but we must make sure to have a uh, successful and healthy baby. We also need to have a successful, healthy mom. So it's really important to focus on mom as well.
2: Yes, I like that. Where can people find your work? And one more time, you, if you can give the information of where people can find the work of the March of Dimes.
1: With pleasure. It's marchofdimes.org. So you can visit our website. That's marchofdimes.org. You can also find us on Facebook. or uh, You can follow us on Instagram as well as Twitter, at the handle at March of Dimes.
2: Such important work. It is really such a pleasure to speak with you. And I'm really glad to get to know more about March of Dimes and again, the birth defects, how to prevent them when they can be is so, so important. So thank you for sharing all this great information.
1: Thank you for having me, Deb. Absolutely.
2: This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope.